Hello. Hello, so good to be with you today and in Leicester and Cambridge and London and wherever you are uh, watching this message. So fantastic to be continuing the series uh, Better Together, uh, looking at how we can grow better in the community as the local church, really believing that this is going to be a very uh, powerful message and a continuation of a, of a powerful series. Uh, and as your sermon handout indicates, we're going to be looking today at the topic of honouring uh, one another. Uh, but before we get into the meat of the message... Uh, I want to get a bit uh, vulnerable with you today. Is that okay with you if I get a bit vulnerable as we, as we begin? I, I want to share with you uh, one of the struggles uh, that I live with in, in my life. We all have our struggles, don't we? Uh, but they're sometimes individual. One of the struggles that I live with is that I have a problem uh, with a baby face. Um, <laughs> Some, some of you weren't as sympathetic as I was hoping, actually. Uh, but I have a problem uh, with, with a baby face. Uh, for, for those of you in the know, you will know that this is a problem. Uh, it's a biological and irreversible inability to look above the age of 16. And uh, it wasn't a problem for me growing up until I reached 16. Uh, and then, as you can imagine, it was slowly downhill from there. Uh, it causes all kinds of dishonor in my life. Uh, if I'm to go to a, a public house and order perhaps a, a lemonade, uh, the, the bar man or woman may ask me to show some ID. Uh, now, for those of you maybe of a more mature vintage, uh, to be asked to show ID would in fact be an honor. Uh, but for me, uh, it's, actually, it's actually dishonoring. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Cambridge, and after the end of the message, a, a friend of mine who has a wonderful gift of encouragement came up to me, put a hand on my shoulder and said, lovely haircut, Steve. You look about 12. And, uh, and as I cried my way back home down the M11, I reflected on the problem that I have with my baby face. Uh, my, my younger brother, two years younger than me, is often thought of as being older uh, only because he can grow fur on his face. What, a, what, a, what an injustice. Uh, but I, I wonder if you were to contrast those silly examples of, of dishonor with maybe times in your life when maybe you felt really honored. For me, as I was kind of preparing this message, I can remember at, at my wedding a few years ago, uh, speeches that were made um, which were honoring of me in a, in a public way, and that was, in, that was incredibly honoring. Honor, as we know, is a very, very powerful thing. And so today we're going to be looking at this whole topic of how can we honor one another in the context of the local church. Now, let me just say, uh, these principles apply as well outside of the local church. They're good for everywhere. And yet today in this series, we're going to really look at how can we grow better together through honoring one another. I, I'm going to base this message uh, on a portion of Scripture found in, in Romans 12, verse 9 and 10, and it says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't that phrase, outdo one another, a really interesting little touch from the Apostle Paul? It's almost like he's saying, this thing that I'm telling you about here, this whole idea of honoring one another, is so important that in the context of the local church, we might as well get competitive about it. It's so important. Let's, let's do the very best that we can in this whole area of honoring one another. And if perhaps you're familiar at all with the Bible, then you may be aware that this theme of honor is all over the Bible. Actually, from Genesis right the way through to Revelation, there's stuff in the Bible about honoring your parents, uh, honoring your husband, honoring your wife, honoring your children, honoring your bosses, honoring elected officials. This whole thing of honor is all over the Bible. 
And yet, perhaps for us today, in our kind of modern UK context, this theme of honor uh, may be slightly less familiar to us, maybe than it was in, in biblical times, but certainly also than it is elsewhere in the world. There are, there are cultures today, aren't there, which are known as honor and shame cultures. And in those cultures, this whole idea of honor or faithfulness or loyalty and all of those kind of things might be very much at the forefront of people's thinking. And yet maybe because of... Uh, sort of individualization in in the UK today, it's perhaps slightly less familiar for us. If I was to ask you today, what is honor? Uh, I'm sure I'd get a variety of different responses. Maybe some of you would say, uh, well, what about the Queen's New Year's honors list? Uh, That time in the year when when the Queen honors people for things they've done. And that's fantastic, isn't it? I love hearing about people previously unknown whose wonderful achievements and generosity or whatever it is have been brought to public attention and an honor is given in result for something they've done. Uh, Maybe you'd say, well, uh, if I think of honor, I think of an honors degree. How at the end of three years of studying or or longer, uh, hopefully of very hard work, um, somebody is awarded a degree, they graduate, and they are given an honours degree. And and, and those things are part of honour, but if you notice what those things have in common is that those types of honouring come after something is achieved. Now, that's wonderful, isn't it? And we actually want to celebrate when we honor people because of what they've done. And yet, biblical honor doesn't undermine that, but it goes slightly further than that. And biblical honor says we honor everybody because of who they are. We honor people, give them dignity, we elevate them, we give them prestige, we give them value, we give them worth because of who they are. And so what what I want to do today, before we go any further, is suggest to us a biblical definition of honor honor, and this is it. Biblical honor is a decision in the heart to give full value to everyone because they're made in the image of God. Biblical honor is a decision in the heart to give full value to everyone because they are made in the image of God. Now, if if you kind of deconstruct that, that definition, you'll see there are two elements to it. The first element is this whole idea of full value, which, which actually comes straight from the, the text, Romans 12, verse 10, where Paul uses a Greek word for honor, which actually means full value, actually means give full value. Uh, but the second element of this definition comes from Genesis 1, 27, uh, where it records how God made man and woman in his image. It's a beautiful, amazing passage of scripture which, which basically says that everybody has been created by a good God and to some degree we look like the one who created us. God has actually written into our DNA, written into who we are, something of his nature. And so each and every person that we come across in life, regardless of, in a sense, maybe how how battered or bruised the image of God may seem, there's actually, regardless of who we are or what we've done, we're made in the image of God. And so we should be giving full value to one another. You might say, well... That definition is very helpful, uh, but why does honor matter for me today? And that's a very good question. Uh, I want to suggest honor matters for us today because honor brings life. Honor brings life. Very powerful principle found in Exodus 20 verse 12, which says, Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother, and you will live a long, full life In the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor releases life. Not simply length of years, 
but fullness of life, vitality, richness of experience. In other words, honor opens up vitality, possibility in our worlds and in the worlds of those around us too. And how many of us today would not want more life in our lives? Well, I want to suggest to you that honor is the key as we explore this whole area. I want to illustrate the, the, the point of this principle by looking today at two Old Testament figures. Uh, they were contemporaries, uh, the figure of David and the figure of Saul, people who lived at the same time and, and had, as we'll see shortly, an interesting relationship. And, and these two people demonstrate, I think, better than anywhere else in the Bible, what it looks like to live both a life of honor and the wonderful possibilities that opens up, and also, in, in the case of Saul, what it actually looks like to put honor to the side, and actually the quite disastrous consequences that can come when we do that too. And so these two people are wonderful examples to consider. But before we kind of draw out four lessons, if you like, from the life of David and from the life of Saul, I want to kind of set the context, just in case the story may not be so familiar. The context of this story is that there is a nation, nation of Israel, the people of Israel, and they have not had a king but they would really, really like a king. And so uh, God asks a prophet uh, to appoint a king. He appoints uh, King Saul, who the Bible says was head and shoulders above everybody else. In other words, Saul was not only a tall guy, uh, but Saul was a great guy. Actually, there was something on his life. And yet, pretty soon into Saul's reign, some, some quite um, strong insecurity, which is at work on the inside of him, begins to undermine his leadership almost from day one. And Saul's reign begins to kind of take some negative uh, turns, and eventually uh, somebody comes, uh, well, the the Lord says to Saul, effectively, your your time is up. Um, Actually, you are going to be replaced. And so uh, the Lord appoints uh, David to be Saul's um, successor. The two kind of come together, and actually their relationship, as we'll see shortly, begins very well. Uh, But after a period of time, Saul becomes incredibly jealous of David to the point where he's consistently trying to kill him. And I think we can all agree that the relationship has taken a turn for the worse uh, when one is trying to kill the other. And, uh, and so that's, that's what happens. Uh, eventually Saul dies. David, who's already been uh, chosen to be king, is eventually appointed to be king. And yet in the life of David, I want to pick out four what I think are quite incredible and quite striking uh, principles for how you and I can grow as people of honor in the context of the local church. There are four things to learn then from this story as we seek to grow better together through honor. And the first is this, honor does a good job. Honor does a good job job. As I said a moment ago, the the relationship between uh, Saul and David uh, begins to take a pretty dramatic uh, turn for the worse. But in the beginning, Saul actually really likes David. He actually says in, in 1 Samuel 16, David came to Saul and entered into his service. In other words, he started working for him. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. As we can see from from that text, Saul initially likes David. He liked him very much. But in the next chapter, straight after this scripture, David kills Goliath, and we begin to see a sort of jealousy come in from that point. But nevertheless, 
In, uh, in 1 Samuel 18, verse 5, it says this, Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. In other words, even when the relationship between boss and employee, between king and between servant, is very, very negative, very, very tense, very full of jealousy, and actually relational fallout, David does a noticeably good job. Isn't that really interesting? Did you notice in, in, in that scripture, it said he did really well, and so people really appreciated his work. David did a great job, even when the situation was difficult. Uh, I came across a, an article in The Independent talking about some of perhaps the less positive work habits of people in the UK. It said this, Tactical toilet breaks, booking meeting rooms for gossip, and taking extended compassionate leave, get this, for the death of a non-existent granny, have emerged among a list of the top 50 ways Brits slack off at work. Researchers who polled 2,000 office workers also found having a mirror on the side of their computer to see when the boss was coming will be a favourite ruse as employees across Britain return to work glum-faced following the festive break. Booking out the boardroom for a power nap, doodling under the pretense of serious note-taking, and this is my favourite, creating fictional meetings off-site are another way Brits will avoid the hefty workload. The study also showed that the average worker slacks, up, slacks off for up to 50 minutes a day or more than four hours a week, usually to carry out personal tasks. Now, if we contrast that slightly negative view of the British workforce with King David, who becomes King David, but David at this point, we can see, can't we, that, that, that David clearly didn't have a metaphorical mirror uh, pinned to the side of his computer so he could see when Saul was coming. David didn't have, obviously, uh, the boss is coming, let's look busy approach to his work life. David worked with real diligence. We can see that from the scripture. But you might say, well, well how does all this apply to me in my life, in the people of God, in the community of the local church? Well, living with honor, doing a good job in the community of the local church means having, keeping, maintaining, and growing a culture of excellence. Do you know, I, I love the culture of excellence that we have in Kingsgate. Isn't it amazing that every week across all our centers, there are hundreds of people who voluntarily open up their homes in order to welcome people into a life group, in order to give them the honor and the dignity and the value of being embraced and welcomed into somebody else's home. Isn't that incredible that we've got so many people who voluntarily honor other people? It's a spirit of excellence, isn't it? Isn't it amazing that today, as you, as you came through the doors, there was somebody opening up the doors for you, greeting you, shaking your hand, showing you honor, giving you dignity, giving you worth, because we have a wonderful culture of excellence. We, we want to celebrate that. But you know what? As we grow better together, as people who are honoring one another, we're going to take that culture of excellence, and, and far from taking it for granted, we're actually going to build upon it, and, and we're going to make it even bigger in our lives and in our church community. What, what does it mean for us to have a culture of excellence, to do a good job in the context of the local church? Well, I, I want to suggest it means applying the same diligence that we apply in our work lives or in our social engagements to our 
interactions as the local church. It, it means bringing that same degree of honor and, and serving one another and compassion and generosity that we apply in our work context or other contexts of our lives into the context of the local church. And, and, and that will be amazing to see how that continues to develop our culture of honor. It, it means, for instance, that if I'm uh, rotated to be on a children's team for one particular Sunday, uh, I'm, I'm going to be there, because I've said I'm going to be there, and, and I'm, I'm going to be there early. And, and if I can't be there, I'm going to phone ahead to the person who's arranging the rotor, and I'm going to say, I can't be there, let's sort out a replacement, I'll do the following week, or whenever I can do. It means applying the same diligence that we do everywhere else in our lives into the context of the local church. That's what honoring one another by doing a good job looks like in here. You see, David found himself in a very, very difficult situation, far more difficult than we do many times today. And yet, diligence, doing a good job, was important to him because he was living a life of honor. Second thing, honor does a good job. Secondly, honor speaks well of others. Honor speaks well of others. After the first time that, that David tries to kill Saul uh, by attempting to pin him to the wall with a spear, um, David, understandably, and he's a wise man, David runs away uh, from King Saul. And as we see in chapter 20, he, along with his close friend Jonathan and his, his confidant, uh, begins to plan his next steps. Uh, and the following chapters of the book of 1 Samuel really are uh, quite an amazingly tumultuous story of, of David on the run from, from this person who has such hatred and bitterness in his heart towards him. And yet, and, and this is absolutely remarkable, if you read the one Samuel account of David's life, there is no suggestion at any point of David speaking negatively about Saul. Absolutely incredible. Now, remember that, that, that David, at this point, in the story is not some kind of unknown Israelite. Uh, David is a very respected member of the army. He would have had a, a following. He'd have had a, a platform, so to speak. There would have been many, many people in the nation of Israel who would have been longing for just a morsel of the gossip that David could have provided about Saul's latest antics. There would have been so many people who, who probably, like David, would have been having a difficult time with King Saul. Probably his jealousy was beginning to maybe affect their relationships as well. And they would have loved a, a bit of kind of water cooler chatter about what David was experiencing and the, and the difficulties that he was facing. There would have been many, many people very interested in the information David could have provided, and yet he doesn't gossip. We've spoken before in Kingsgate about the power that comes on us as a community when we refuse to speak badly of one another in gossip. It's an incredibly powerful thing to have a culture that doesn't allow gossip. And David demonstrates wonderfully here what a life of honor looks like as we choose to use our words to speak well of other people. You see, David has been genuinely wronged and he has a genuine opportunity to undermine King Saul through his words and through his influence, and yet he refuses to do so. Honor speaks well of others. How about for us today? In our words, with our influence, in person, maybe online, how are we using what we say and what we do to not undermine those around us and to not use gossip? But you know what? David actually takes this whole principle of speaking well about others to another level. 
You see, not only does honor refuse to gossip, but if you like that, that's kind of base camp. Honor actually goes even further, and it challenges those who may wish to undermine people around him. Uh, Amazing story found in, in 1 Samuel 26, where Effectively, David has the opportunity to kill Saul, and one of David's closest friends says, go on, now's your moment, and David says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. The Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Isn't that that incredible? Not only is David speaking and acting well of King Saul, but when someone suggests he do something to undermine him, David challenges that and says, no, I'm not. You see, a culture of honoring one another by speaking well of each other doesn't only not gossip, but if somebody else says, oh, how about you tell me about such and such, they say, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Or, or if somebody else is uh, kind of encouraging gossip out of us, or if somebody else is even maybe gossiping, we're, we're like, actually, that, that's not the culture that we have here. We're, we're all guardians of the culture. That's actually, that's just not in fitting with, with who we are as the church. Isn't it incredible that David goes beyond not simply undermining himself, but he challenges when other people do? I find that remarkable. But it's also really important to note that David was in a genuinely tough situation. I think we could all agree on that. And so David does confide in a close friend. David has a very heartfelt, honest conversation with his friend Joshua, uh, sorry, sorry, Jonathan, uh, about the situation uh, that he's in. And so not gossiping and speaking well of one another never looks like just bottling everything up on the inside to bursting point, but it looks like finding out who are the right people to share the right things with. How, how can I share in, in, a way that, in a way that's healthy for me and, and healthy for the person hearing and in a way that honors other people? It's about identifying who, who are the close people that I can offload to and, and process with in a healthy way so that it doesn't just kind of burst out of me and splurge over to everybody around me. David doesn't gossip. David challenges when others wish to undermine, and David confides in close friends. David tells his close friends his deepest feelings, but he only tells him. Third thing then for us to to note from this wonderful story about how we grow better together, honoring one another, is that honor is willing to challenge. Honor is willing to challenge. So far in the story, we've seen how, how, how David is respectful of Saul's authority, uh, how, how David um, speaks well of Saul, but it's also very, very important to note that honor it is not simply sort of a, a passive submission or being a yes man or uh, being a yes woman. Honor is willing to challenge other people, and, and, and here's where we return to our definition, because we recognize that everybody is made in the image of God. And so as a community of honor, as people of honor, we're ready and and we're willing to, with gentleness and love, in the appropriate way to challenge because we recognize that we're each made in the image of God. 1 Samuel 26 verse 18, David directly says to Saul, after Saul has kind of gone on one of his, his rampages, David says, why is my Lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? And what wrong am I guilty of? In other words, David is saying, look, you're the king and I'm your servant. How you're behaving right now is not consistent with your identity. 
What you're doing is not lining up with who you actually are. And so honor actually is willing to say, do you know what, that, 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 that way of thinking, that way of speaking, that way of acting, it, it's undermining who you are. It, it's not actually, it's not drawing out the best within you. There's so much gold on the inside of you that needs to be drawn out. But, but this way of behaving, it, it's not, it doesn't suit you. And that's an honoring challenge. When, when I was a teenager, I was on the verge of a, a relationship with somebody who didn't share my core convictions. They, they weren't a, a Christian. And I remember very well my dad sitting me down in the kitchen and saying to me, Steve, what are you doing? And it was quite clear to me uh, what he meant in that moment. And, uh, and in this instance, I listened to his challenge. I, I kind of heard what he was saying. What he was saying was, this is who you are. Your behavior in this area is going to cost you and it's going to undermine you. And so as I listened to his challenge and responded uh, appropriately, um, honor brings life, doesn't it? So new life came on the inside of me. Uh, more recently, Michael Murphy, great leadership consultant, speaker, uh, was with us for a, a week or so. I was in some training that he was doing. And afterwards, I had a meeting with him. And in this meeting, Michael Murphy kind of looked me right in the eyes, and he, he challenged me out of honor. He said, he said, Steve, there's more in you than what I'm seeing reflected in your attitudes and your behavior in the whole area of your leadership. And actually, since he made that, that direct challenge, actually, new life has come on my ministry, new life has come on the inside of me, because actually, if someone gives an honor, uh, if someone gives a challenge out of honor, it's actually an honor to receive it. Actually, honor, uh, sorry, life comes on the inside of us too. Now, let's be very, very real. I've got many hobbies in this life, and, uh, and being challenged is not one of them. Uh, it's not something that I, I look to have on a, on a regular or, or daily basis. And yet, when we are challenged in love and in gentleness out of a place of honor, actually, it's an honor to receive. And as we respond appropriately, that's a wonderful thing. We want, don't we, as a community in Kingsgate, to be a safe space in the context of our friendships, our families, our life groups, where we can say, look, I, I really love you. I, I see wonderful things in you, and yet your perhaps behavior in this area is, is, is not fitting with who you are. And as we give those challenges out of love, in gentleness, at the appropriate times, in the right way, honor flows in our community, and we grow better together. Now, just as an aside, we also need to be ready and able to receive those challenges if someone wants to return the favor. Uh, in the same way that, that, that David demonstrates how to uh, challenge someone out of honor, Saul demonstrates how not to receive a challenge out of honor. He actually makes a very kind of emotional response, which lasts for about five minutes, and before you know it, he's just gone back to being the same person. We want to be able to respond with humility and to thank people for their input when it's given in the right way. And so as we do that as a community, we'll grow together in honor. Honor does a good job. Honor speaks well of others, and honor is willing to challenge. Fourthly, honor forgives. Honor forgives. Now, let's just for a moment kind of do a, an imagination game and, uh, and put ourselves in David's position. Uh, David has had a very difficult few years 
Uh, he's been a kind of a, appointed to a job in the sense that he's been selected to be king, and yet that doesn't really seem to be uh, changing how he's treated. Uh, in fact, he, he's not yet become king. There's got to be a sense of frustration on the inside of him. Uh, not only is he frustrated where he's at, but actually uh, the person who is king is, is being tyrannical and is, is really treating him in an appalling way. Now, this, this goes on for a period of time, and probably, if we're honest, if we were David there might be just the tiniest little hint of bitterness in us uh, by the end of the story. We might be thinking, well, do you know what? Actually, I do have a bit of resentment. Actually, I, I do have a bit of bitterness. In fact, we could hardly blame David, could we? It would be, in a sense, the most natural thing in the world. And yet, David, as he lives a life of honor, walks consistently in forgiveness. This is absolutely remarkable. How, how do we know that David walked in forgiveness? Well, 2 Samuel 1, uh, Saul has been killed. David hears news that, that Saul has been killed. Uh, we could probably, in, in a sense, understand if David wasn't too disappointed by this news. I mean, he'd honoured him well in his life, now he's gone. And yet, what we see is David honoured Saul in his life, and he honours him in his death. It says in 2 Samuel 1, verse 11, Then David and all the men, after they've heard that Saul has died, took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they'd fallen by the sword. David had numerous chances in Saul's life to cultivate bitterness, and yet he didn't. So even in Saul's death, he was able to honor him. Quite a remarkable story. David demonstrates extraordinary Forgiveness. Now, I'm sure it wouldn't have been easy for David to have lived with a clean heart in this kind of a way. What, what, what do I mean by this whole thing that, that David walked in forgiveness? Well, David didn't allow the very real pain that Saul had caused him to change the condition of his heart. And so because of that, David was able to walk with a clean heart right up to the end of Saul's life and even beyond. Amazing story of somebody who walked in honor. Now, I'm sure that David would have had to regularly choose to forgive Saul for treating him in a wrong way. I'm sure that it wasn't just a one-time deal. I'm sure that, that, that it didn't necessarily come naturally or easily for David. I'm sure he, he maybe even had to choose on a daily basis. Do you know what? This mindset, this attitude, this way that I'm thinking about Saul is not honoring him because it's not forgiving him and I can't honor unless I forgive. I've got to replace this mindset. I've got to deal with this thought pattern. I'm sure it required discipline and diligence because forgiveness in that sense is a choice. David demonstrated this right through his life. And you know, there's going to be multiple occasions, if it's not already happened to you, in the context of the gathering of a local church, maybe in life groups, maybe in clusters, maybe on a kind of Sunday gathering, where we're going to have the opportunity for small reasons, for medium reasons, maybe for larger reasons, to feel offended by somebody or something. Uh, perhaps we weren't um, we, we offered to say hello to somebody and, 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 and their mind was on something else at that point and so they weren't able to give us the attention we'd hoped for and so we have the opportunity there to walk in unforgiveness or we have the opportunity to kind of, like David, deal with the condition of our heart and walk in forgiveness. Do you know, this, this, this whole thing about choosing to forgive applies in the small and it applies in the large. On the kind of small end of the spectrum, uh, I know a pastor who tells the story of somebody who he meets on a regular basis. Every time they meet, this person tells this pastor, 30 years ago, someone blanked me and I'm still 
mad about it. Do you know, on, on, on the slightly more trivial end of the spectrum, that, that there will be opportunities for things to happen, and, and, and we need to deal with them. So that, let it not be said of us, in 30 years' time, we're still obsessing over the same things. We want to, like David, walk in forgiveness so that we can live a life of honor. But there are also larger things. I love the story of Corrie ten Boom, who during the Second World War was a prisoner at Ravensbrück concentration camp. And uh, her sister was there as well. Her sister died during the Second World War. But after the war, once that camp had been liberated, Corrie uh, traveled around the world preaching the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. And, and after one of the messages that she gave in a particular country, someone came up to her and, and they said, what a wonderful message. And she looked at this man and she knew exactly who he was. He was one of the cruelest guards at the, at the camp where she'd been a prisoner. Horrible things had happened there. And as she looked at him, the man said, I know God has forgiven me for my sins, but I want to hear from you. Would you forgive me too? And Corrie Ten Boom looks at him dead in the eye. She, she, she knows that she wants to forgive, but she can't forgive. She prays, Jesus, would you help me? He puts out her, his hand. She raises her hand to meet his. And she says that as I did that, warmth and forgiveness flowed through me. Now, now note that in the small and in the large, forgiveness begins with a decision. And forgiveness is enabled by the power of God. Do you know what? I wouldn't want anyone to hear anything from this message and think it's about trying harder or psyching myself up or any of that kind of thing. Actually, we're going to end today with an opportunity to receive afresh the enabling power of God. Because as a community seeking to walk by honoring one another, we need his ability as well. David demonstrates it's impossible to live a life of honor with bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness eating away at the inside of us. And so I, I want to kind of challenge and encourage you this morning. As, as we're seeking to be a community honoring one another, is, is there someone in your life, maybe in the context of the local church, where actually you're aware offense has come in, bitterness has come in, and even as you think about this whole theme of honoring one another, you know, I can't honor so-and-so because actually there's a heart attitude that I've got to replace with something different. We're going to have the opportunity today to do that as well. So let me kind of sum up where we've got to on this whole theme of honoring one another. Honor does a good job. Honor is diligent, even in difficult situations. Honor speaks well of others. It challenges when other people would like to gossip or undermine. And it confides in the right people. Honor is willing to challenge. And honor accepts and receives a challenge when it is given. And honor walks in forgiveness too. As I said a moment ago, in order to kind of be a community that walks this out, this very high bar of honoring one another, we need to position ourselves before God. Not out of a place of I want to try harder or I'm going to work harder or I'm going to do better, but out of a place of God, I want to honor you. And I'm asking that as I honor you, would you enable me to honor those around me? You see, I, I don't think David could have modeled the life of extraordinary honor he did unless he consistently honored the Lord his God. If you read the book of Psalms, wonderful uh, poems, love songs, uh, kind of worship songs that were written by David towards the Lord his God, he had an incredible relationship of affection and honor and trust. And I'm sure if you were to take out that, that, that kind of a heart place that David had, the, the book of 1 Samuel would have looked very, very different. Do you know, I don't think David honored Saul by trying harder or working harder, but I think he honored Saul by honoring the Lord and relying on the Lord's help 
to honor those around him. As a a community, as we come to the end of this message, what what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment to honor God. And and as we honor him, we're going to believe that that just like with David and Saul, as we turn our attention to the one who deserves all our affection, and as we honor the Lord our God, he's going to enable us to walk in lives of honor to those around us too. Let me pray for us before we close. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful example of what it means to live a life of honor. And I pray for each and every one of us that that as we seek afresh to honor you, you'd enable us to honor one another and grow together as a community in honor. In Jesus' name, amen.